Never open a book with the weather. Weather is boring. Nobody wants to read about weather. People want to read about people, and they generally skip descriptive paragraphs. In my experience, avoiding the weather is good advice, which I now disregard at my peril. Don't worry, I'm not talking about rain here. No book should start with rain ever. No exceptions. I'm talking about wind. Hello, and welcome to Best Seller, where we read and rate the latest book at the top of the New York Times hardcover fiction list. Twenty minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or regift it. I'm Barbara, and I'm Brian. Today, we're overviewing the new bestsellers that have made the New York Times hardcover fiction list so far this calendar year, 2024. And there are eleven of them to date. One of them, "First Lie Wins" by Ashley Elston, we'll be reviewing in full next episode. So we'll talk about that one next time. Today we're taking a quick look at the other ten. Now, most of the books that have been taking up space on the list over the last month or so are not new. They're books from last year, or even from the year before, that have carried over into 2024. Right. Out of the 28 books that have made the list so far this year, four of them were released way back in 2022. That's Lessons in Chemistry, Demon Copperhead, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. All of which we reviewed last year. And Remarkably Bright Creatures, which we didn't review together, but I did read it and I gave it three stars. And there are 13 other books. That first made the list in 2023 and have tailed over into 2024's lists. Books like Stephen King's Holly and The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride, and even more prominently, the first two parts of the Empyrean series by Rebecca Yaros, Fourth Wing, and Iron Flame. Yes, those books have held the number one and two spots for five weeks in a row in 2024. Yaros has had such a lock on those top two spots. I think coming in three should really be considered an honorary number one at this point. <laughs> the list has been really crowded with old books so far, but that hasn't stopped a small number of newbies from poking their heads into the party. And we are going to tell you a little bit about each one in this episode. We haven't read them all yet, so these will not be reviews. They'll be overviews. Little blurbs. And we're going to present them in reverse order of their social media engagement. Social media engagement meaning how many reviews they got so far on Amazon and Goodreads. How many reviews they've received to date? Right, because it'll you know they'll keep getting more. But let's start with what we have. So book ten. That's the one that has the least number of social media reviews so far. Got it. Last place at the top ten. Yeah. So the new, the first new bestseller we'll overview here is Murder by Kaveh <laughs> Akbar. Why? Why do you say it that way? Because it's got an exclamation point in the title, "Martyr." <laughs> How do you say it? <laughs> Martyr with an exclamation point. M- Martyr. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a question mark. All right. Well, "Martyr" with an exclamation point is a 352-page work of literary fiction and the author's debut novel. And it's got just 173 ratings on Amazon. I kind of feel we should get a copy and post a review just to. Help him get his total up a bit. Well, maybe this will help,、uh, because you would never post a review without reading the book first. As you know, I'm not a supporter of the death penalty in general, but if there is a crime that might merit that punishment, it's posting a review without reading the book. So about the author, Akbar was born in Tehran in 1989, moved to the U.S. when he was two, and grew up in the Midwest. He got a doctorate in creative writing from Florida State. I didn't know you could get a doctorate in creative writing. Apparently, you can. So wait, if he's in a movie theater and there's a medical emergency and someone yells out, "Is there a doctor in the house?" He could raise his hand and say, 
I'm a doctor. What do you need me to write? Probably would not. He's a respectable guy. He's the poetry editor at The Nation. And in 2018, NPR called him poetry's biggest cheerleader. Okay. He's published several collections of poems, including Portrait of the Alcoholic, Martyr. With an exclamation point. Is Very his good. first novel. So what's it about? Cyrus Shams is a young Iranian-American whose mother's plane was accidentally shot down over Tehran. His father works at a processing plant in the Midwest, killing chickens. Cyrus is a drunken, drug-addicted poet who is obsessed with martyrs in his family's past. Sounds like literary fiction. Here's a blurb from author Lauren Groff. The best novel you'll ever read about the joy of language, addiction, displacement, martyrdom, (laughs) belonging, and homesickness. She's playing it safe. I mean, how many novels are there about language, addiction, displacement, martyrdom, belonging, and homesickness? Of all the novels that are about all those, this is the best one. Tell us how the opening sentence goes. So that goes like this. Maybe it was that Cyrus had done the wrong drugs in the right order, or the right drugs in the wrong order, but when God finally spoke back to him after 27 years of silence, what Cyrus wanted more than anything else was a do-over. I'll take that. Yeah. So we thought it might be edifying, or at least fun, to share a couple of user reviews for each of these 10 new bestsellers, one from a five-star review and another from a one-star. What do we have for Martyr? (laughs) You're getting (laughs) it. I like that. That was an exclamation point, but it wasn't belching it out like I did. So here's a five-star review comment. Martyr is addicted to beauty and truth. Like the rainbow, it connects heaven and earth. Enjoy your journey into this not-mappable space, a territory beyond our binary understanding of time, space, and identity. I mean, that sounds pretty good. I have no idea what he's talking about, but it sounds good. That was the five-star review? Yeah. All right, so what about the one star? I actually couldn't find one. Remember, he doesn't have that many Amazon reviews yet, but here's a three star. Quote, the story ends on a high note, I suppose, but having finished it, I am perplexed. Hmm, all right, so find a copy of Martyr, read it, and post a review. (laughs) Even if the ending leaves you feeling perplexed. Okay, what's next? Sanctuary of the Shadow by Aurora Asher. This is a 400-page fantasy novel. It entered the list at number three on January 28th, held out of number one, of course, and two by Fourth Wing and Iron Flame. Of course. It then dropped to number 10 before disappearing from the list. So the author Aurora Asher is from the mountains of British Columbia and now lives in Montreal with her husband. She's been playing piano since age five, Mm. belongs to a progressive hip-hop band, and says she wrote her first book because it popped into her head one day and wouldn't leave her alone until she wrote it down. (laughs) That's a good reason to write. Before Sanctuary of the Shadow, she mostly wrote romantic fantasy novels in a series called Hellbent with books like... My Demon Romance, and My Funny Demon Valentine. The blurb on her website for My Demon Romance goes like this. Eligos is bored. He's a powerful duke of hell tasked with manipulating deceitful humans to claim their souls for the underworld, blah, blah, blah. Wait, it says blah, blah, blah in the blurb? Yeah, it does. I didn't just get tired of reading and put it in myself. Okay. So what about Sanctuary of the Shadow? It's the first book of her new series called Elemental Emergence. It's about a character named Harrow who performs in a circus so she can disguise her special abilities and and to hide out from those who slaughtered her entire clan. A mysterious stranger shows up one day. He cannot remember who or what he is. He knows only that he's a monster with wings and powerful abilities. One glimpse into his inky black eyes... And Hero is hooked. Romanticy. Evidently. Reviews? This is another one with a notable dearth of one-star reviews. Hmm. Apparently not offending the right people. But here's a good three-star jab. 
It's delivered like sitting through a history lecture with a professor who's lost his notes. Ouch. The characters are in the thick of a war, and they chat about it like they're discussing the weather, which we just heard at the opening of the episode. You're not supposed oh. to do. Quote, oh, by the way, did I mention the epic war going on? No. Well, there is one. <laughs> if they're not bothered about it, I'm wondering why I should cancel my Netflix binge to pay attention. That really could be one or two stars. Yeah, that, that was pretty sharp. I guess there's great inflation. <laughs> But here's a five-star review that may or may not be representative, but I liked it. I just love all things circus, so I was super excited to read this book just for that point alone. I love the character development throughout the book. Strangers to lovers to enemies to strangers to lovers. Oh, goodness, this really throws some 360 loops and gets your heart pumping. That's from somebody named Paige. All right, Sanctuary of the Shadow. Check it out. What's next? Well, for book eight, Upside Down by Daniel Steele. It's a 256-page work of fiction set in present-day Hollywood and New York City. It's got about 96% female readers, which is typical for her. Mm -hmm. Spent two weeks on the list in January at number 7 and 12. Dare I ask about the author? Danielle Steele, at age 76, mm. had seven novels on the New York Times hardcover fiction list last year, a new novel every two months or so, and she's on pace to duplicate that this year. It's all relationship fiction. She likes to focus on very rich and successful women navigating their way around even more rich, successful, and powerful men. Now, her books are always among the shortest on the list, not just by page number. Her page layouts tend to have more white space, bigger font, and so on. Judging from a quick glance at the reviews, her prose tends to be very repetitive, as if either she doesn't remember what she wrote 10 pages earlier or she doesn't expect her readers to remember. Ouch. I'm just telling you what I'm picking up from the reviews people Ooh. post. Her novels are quite short, simple reads that can be finished in one or two sittings. So tell us about this latest. So the Oscar-winning actress Ardeth Law is 62, the epitome of glamour, and a highly respected artist. But she's estranged from her daughter, the 38-year-old Morgan, a successful plastic surgeon in New York City. The worlds of both women are turned upside down when Ardeth develops feelings for her much younger personal assistant, Josh, hmm. while on the opposite coast, Morgan is being swept off her feet by a world-famous television anchorman more than 20 years her senior. Will mother and daughter put aside their differences and turn to each other as they ask as they each seek to navigate an unconventional romance read upside down if you would like to find out so reviews well i've got a five star from ivan in mexico una linda trama que quiero seguir leyendo hasta el final muy recomendable Ooh. you want to try that one out a uh, nice plot that you want to keep reading to the end highly recommended thank you for that one star Sure, I've got one. The size was just too small for the money. Oof, that's what she said. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say, that's what she said. Oh. <laughs> Have you watched The Office lately? No, that's what she said. <laughs> Let's try it again. The size was just too small for the money. That's what she said. Thank you. And that comment is from a viewer calling herself Drunken Elephant. So you know her judgment can be trusted. <laughs> yes. Okay, so moving on, book number seven. Thank you. Let's move on. Next, we have The Atlas Complex by Olivia Blake, a 496-page fantasy novel, the third and final book in her Atlas series. But it only lasted one week on the list, coming in at number nine on January 28th. Olivia Blake is 35 years old, and that's her pen name. Her birth name is 
Alexine Farrell Falmouth, which she still uses for young adult fiction. She was born in the San Francisco Bay Area and now lives in L.A. with her high school physics teacher husband and their son and their dog. She's got a master's degree in urban planning and worked at a public defender's office while attending law school. Always good background for a fiction writer. Hmm. So The Atlas Six, the first book in this series, was originally self-published, but was republished by Tor Books after going viral on TikTok. Hmm. So she was a TikTok phenom before Rebecca Yaros took that avenue and ran away with it. The series is about the Alexandrian society, caretakers of lost knowledge from the great civilizations of antiquity. Every decade, six of the most uniquely talented magicians are considered for initiation. Five of them survive one does not. So a little like fourth wing, except here the emphasis is on magic ability, not fighting metal. Plus, the odds are much better here. Five out of six. That's pretty good. Yeah, fourth wing is like how many? One in ten survive? Yeah, read Iron Flame. I'm getting to it. Okay. Okay, unfortunately, volume three of the Atlas series is not doing well in the ratings. Only a 3.3 average on Amazon, 3.1 on Goodreads. So share some good and some bad. I'll start with the bad. Here's a one-star review from Everett. Atlas Complex is not a story. It's a PhD dissertation with name-dropping. The point of said dissertation seeming to be that all choices are meaningless because you'll just suck oxygen and then die anyway. It's impossible (laughs) to follow the motivations of any given character because it's all layered with Blake's endless rhetorical flourishes that could be beautiful if they were actually connected to any sort of coherent narrative. That's my voice doing all caps. (laughs) Ouch. So it sounds like that's a one star review. But here's a here's a three star review from Robin. Not sure I really got the point, except that people don't matter and we as a species are crap. So it's a philosophy book. Yeah. Okay. Listen to this five star review from Christopher. A lot of people really hated this book. If you've read the first two, you should know this likely wasn't going to go the way most people wanted. That was the point. (laughs) The entire trilogy was a commentary on human nature Mm. and the intoxicating allure of power and knowledge. It was always supposed to end with betrayal, heartache, and tragedy. I can see why her average is low. She's written a book with a bleak philosophy and a bleak ending to match. I like bleak. (laughs) So (laughs) let's move on to book six. All right, so. Emily Wilde's Map of the Otherlands by Heather Fawcett, 352 pages, the second novel in the Emily Wilde fantasy series, set in Cambridge, hmm. England in 1910. Spent just one week on the list at number nine, February 4th. So Heather Fawcett is another young Canadian fantasy writer who, like Aurora Asher, writes for young people and for adults. She lives on Vancouver Island, has a master's in English literature and a bachelor's in archaeology. So many great academic backgrounds across these authors today. Right? Literature, law, urban planning, now archaeology. So this is the second book of her series about Emily Wilde, who's a genius scholar of fairy folklore, who just wrote the world's first comprehensive encyclopedia of fairies. Oh, I love that. She's got feelings for her fellow scholar, Wendell, an exiled fairy king on the run from his murderous mother and her assassins. In this book, Emily accompanies him to the Austrian Alps, hoping to help him find the door back to Bambleby's realm. I guess that's where he comes from. And somehow free him from his family's murderous intentions. It's got a pretty cool opening sentence. Okay, so here it is. The foot would not fit in my briefcase, so I wrapped it in cloth and wrestled it into an old knapsack I sometimes carry with me on expeditions. That bodes well. Hmm. I mean, for the reader, not for the, you know, the character who lost a foot. Reviews? 
It's averaging 4.6, which is good. Here's a five-star review from somebody calling herself She Reads and She Wines. Wait, whines about books? Well, there's no H, so oh. I think she means she indulges oh. while she reads. A touch of the grape. Vino tinto. Uh, not always a good idea to drink and post. Well, here, you judge. Here's a review. Heather Fawcett must have used a fairy enchantment on this book because it is irresistible. Oh. Everything I adored about the first book continues in this one, but it's also more. <laughs> more humor, more cozy, more horror, more fairies, more romance. C- could you hear the wine talking in yeah, that Yeah, maybe review? one more glass. <laughs> <laughs> one star review? I couldn't find any, but here's a three star from Pink Car Cutie. Sequel syndrome, entire action section lopped together in the last 50 pages. I highly enjoyed the plot when it finally happened. Maybe she just needs to have a glass of wine. That's Pink Car Cutie. <laughs> okay. So we're up to book five. Or down to. Are we down or are we up? We're on book five. And the bestseller with the fifth best social media engagement. Holmes, Marple, and Poe by James Patterson and Brian Sitz, a 352-page crime novel, first in a new series featuring detectives. Holmes, Marple, and Poe? Yep, you got it. This entered the list at number six on January 28th, and it's continued to chart for five weeks now, dropping just a bit lower each week. It sounds like he left out Poirot. Well, think about this. Poe is not a detective. Poe's an author, so it's kind of a mixed bag. Sherlock Holmes, Miss Marple, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. It's just name dropping. James Patterson, another author who probably doesn't need an introduction. James Patterson is a bestseller factory. He had his name on 10 different bestselling novels last year. He was only sole author on two of them, the Alex Cross novels, one from late 2022, one from late 2023. So like most authors, he's writing a book a year or so. But he, or maybe his publisher, is hiring ghostwriters and slapping the Patterson name at the top of seven or eight other books each year. Brian Sitz is the ghostwriter of this new detective series. He's written at least three thrillers with, or four, Patterson before this, and has another one coming out this October. He's an advertising director and TV writer who lives in Peekskill, New York. I don't know much else about him except he's got a cool name. Cool how? Well, you know, it forms a sentence, subject, verb, Brian, sits, S-I-T-T-S. <laughs> that makes it cool. Is that because that's your name, too? It's <laughs> no, my name's your... not a sentence. Luke is not a verb. No, but it's Brian, sits. It's oh. describing what you're doing right now. It carries possibilities. You know, you could call up James Patterson and ask him. Because, of course, he would take your call. Ask him, hey, you know your ghostwriter, Brian, on that Holmes Marple Poe thing? Does he have a stand-up desk? <laughs> Patterson would be like, I don't know. I don't think so. And I would say, so, Brian sits. (laughs) Patterson would be like, right, my ghostwriter, Brian sits. Yeah, okay, hilarious. I only said it had possibilities. I'm just going to read the blurb from the Amazon page now. Crime, murder, who are you going to call? In New York City, three intriguing, smart, and stylish private investigators. Brendan Holmes, the brain, identifies suspects via deduction and logic. Margaret Marple, the eyes, possesses powers of observation too often underestimated. August Poe, the muscle, chases down every lead, no matter how dangerous or dark. The agency's daring methodology attracts the attention of NYPD detective Helene Gray. Her investigation into her three unknowable competitors rivals the best mysteries of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Agatha Christie, and Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) Okay. Does it really say who you're going to call? I mean, mean, it's right there. It really sounds like it was written by an advertising guy. Especially the way I read it. (laughs) Which is exactly what this ghostwriter is, right? Reviews? Okay. (laughs) 
Here's a five star. I'm tired already. Just the too much advertising copy hitting me in the face. <laughs> I could I could slow it down. Okay, here's a five star from Martha. The book is fantastic, and I really hope a sequel is in the works. This one has bad guys, good cops, good guys, serial killers, art heist models, and a smidgen of a ghost. I'm trying to picture a smidgen of a ghost. How about a tad of I know a whisper of a ghost. Whisper of a ghost. That works. So here's a one star. Seems to be written for a generation addicted to Twitter social media. It's depthless and bullet pointed. The tiny two page chapters are super annoying. (laughs) Is good writing dead? Oh, no. I wouldn't say good writing is dead. I know, but you have to work a little to find it. I noticed a lot of the reviewers are expressing disappointment. Like, Patterson used to be so good. He's slipping. What happened? And I want to say to them, He's not declining as a writer. Someone else is writing these books. That's why their name is on the cover. Up next, number four. Northwoods by Daniel Mason. This is a 384-page work of historical fiction set in Massachusetts, 1650. I mean, at the start of the novel, anyway. Daniel Mason is a physician and an author, affiliated with Stanford Hospital as a psychiatrist and Stanford University as a literature professor. His first novel, The Piano Tuner, has been made into an opera. It's about a piano that's shipped to Burma during the days of the British Empire and Burmese occupation, but the extreme humidity of the environment renders it horribly out of tune. Do you think they use a horribly out of tune piano in the opera? Why do you have one you're trying to unload? (laughs) My pianos are in tune, thank you very much. (laughs) I'm just saying I would go to hear that opera if they deliberately used an out-of-tune piano in the music. All right, so Northwoods is about a cabin in the woods of New England and its succession of inhabitants through the centuries, starting in 1650 Mm -hmm. with a pair of lovers absconding from a Puritan colony, then an English soldier abandoning the battlefield, a pair of spinster twins, a crime reporter, a painter, conman, panther, and even a lusty beetle. Oh, okay. Sounds fun. (laughs) Yeah. It was released on September 19th, 2023. It did not chart at that time, but it made the January 7th, 2024 list after getting a bump by by being named Best Book of the Year by Time, NPR, Christian Science Monitor, Publishers Weekly, and others. In 2023? At the end of 2023. So it pushed it onto the January 2024 list just for one week at number 15 before it disappeared. Reviews worth passing on? Here's a one star from Jezamine. This book tells a few stories, makes some points about the environment, and ends up floundering back and forth through eternity. Oof. Here's a five-star review from ZC that's more complimentary. Each section varies in content and style. The prose is beautifully written, and I appreciate the deep sense of humor underlying the emotional and expressive language. Check it out. Northwoods by Daniel Mason. So we're up to the new bestseller with the third best media engagement a 320-page crime novel called The Fury by Alex Michaelides. It's been on the list for four weeks so far, debuting at number three. Held there by Fourth Wing and Iron Flame? Mm, Of course. Yeah. But it's still hanging around the list at number eight most recently. Michaelides was born in Cyprus to a Greek father and an English mother. He studied English literature at Cambridge and also studied psychotherapy and worked for a while at a secure unit for young adults. This gave him material for his debut novel, The Silent Patient, about a patient in a psychiatric unit who turns mute after murdering her husband. Yeah, and his new book, The Fury, is about a reclusive ex-movie star, Lana Farrar, who invites her English friends to spend Easter on her idyllic private Greek island. Cozy. 
Yes, but this time their first night on holiday ends with one of the guests found murdered. Very Agatha Christie. Yeah, maybe even more so than the Holmes, Marple, and Poe joint. (laughs) Now, if you think back, way back to the beginning of this show. The opening paragraph you read? Right. The never open a book with a weather opener. That's from the Fury. He kind of broke his own rule there. It's like he really wanted to open with the weather, but had to explain himself to the readers. Or editors. So that was an unusual opening anyway. Maybe it'll make our Bestie Awards next year. Any reviews for us? Here's a one star from Crystal. Too disjointed. I found myself just reading first and last sentences of paragraphs just to end it. It is just cut up, making stories within stories like those Russian stacking dolls. Too crazy for my taste. Maybe she should have read the whole paragraph. (laughs) I do that too when I'm... Sometimes I just read the first sentence of a paragraph and go on. Maybe that's how you can get through Iron Flame. (laughs) I'm looking for any help. But here's a five-star review from Always Reading. It's a why done it for the ages. Hmm. Enjoy the ride. I still have a smile on my face thinking about so many lines in this book. Jealous others get to experience it for the first time. Oh, all right. So we're up to number two. Yes, and it is Random in Death by J.D. Robb, a 368-page police procedural set in New York City in 2061, her 58th novel in the In-Death series. It was only on the list for two weeks, number three on February 11th, kind of, again, like an honorary number one, and then falling to number 11 the next week before disappearing from the list. Though not from the shelves. It's got good social media engagement, at least on Amazon. She's got nearly 10,000 ratings on Amazon, more than any other new bestsellers so far. So why is she not first? Because there is one book that had a lot more reviews on Goodreads. We'll get to that next. Got it. But I knew from our review of Encore and Death a year ago Mm -hmm. uh, that Nora Roberts keeps a blog. By the way, J.D. Robb is the pseudonym of Nora Roberts. Right. Nora Roberts keeps a blog called Fall into the Story. Hmm. I don't know if you remember last year she posted about a family vacation to some private beach resort. Yeah. What is she up to this year? So her latest entry is called Nora at Home, Mission Accomplished. Hmm. And she's got pictures of her dining room, library, and something she calls the One More Room which might be a rather uncomfortable study, it looks like in the picture. All these rooms are all tidied up after her annual January purge, getting rid of clutter. So what's your method for getting rid of clutter? I didn't know you were supposed to have a method. There's a whole, there's whole shows about it. I guess my method is you keep throwing things into stacks until the stacks topple and then you frantically dig yourself out. You? (laughs) (laughs) I just walk around it. We're not Nora Roberts, evidently. <laughs> she has an annual purge. Hmm. Well, we could try that. Check need to out check her out blog. Her... Yeah. Absolutely. So this new Nora Roberts book, Random and Death by J.D. Robb, falls within her series about the New York City detective Eve Dallas, set in the year 2061. The official description of this la- latest installment tells us that it's about a 16-year-old girl out enjoying a live band, but she gets jabbed with a needle and ends up dying in the alley. Does it have a good opening sentence? Give me Avenue A, because they say... Okay, so that's supposed to be like a rock band lyric from the future, I guess. Oh, okay. Gimme Avenue A, because they say. So she's averaging 4.8 stars with over 10,000 ratings. Wow. So it's not hard at all to find five-star reviews. There's thousands of them. Jeez. Here's one from KM. She says, another excellent episode in the long-running Eve Dallas series. I love her relationship with Rourke. This time, their conflict centers around him giving her some pocket money when she forgets to visit an ATM. Yeah, it hurts her pride to accept and his pride when she tries to pay him back. I loved it so much I read it twice within just a few hours. Ugh. 
I'm sorry. Conflict between the romantic leads about him giving her pocket money doesn't sound very interesting. And besides, they're married, so it's marital property. What do they care? It, plus, it doesn't sound very much from the future. Are we really going to have ATMs in 2061? <laughs> or pocket money? I. So, any one-star reviews? I'm sorry. I'm biased by the fact that that was our least favorite book last year. Did you leave a one-star review? And I re- yes, and I resolved <laughs> not to read it. So, I'm a little biased. Okay. But here's a one-star review. Actually, there are, I couldn't find any. The top-listed critical post is a three-star review from Yan Yan. There's that inflation again. Yeah. So Yan Yan says she just discovered the series and read the first book and this one side by side. Quote, why was the very first book so polished and neat, but the dialogue in the 58th was so jarring? Dear author, have you cut ties with an editor? Oh, no. Dear author, if this is the quality of your series going forward, it's time to end it. And But that was still a three. <laughs> Great inflation. I'm telling you, it's real. Oh, my God. The struggle is real. Where's a good one star when you need it? There's, there's always someone who's got to spoil the J.D. Robb party. And sometimes that someone is us. Fair enough. All right. So are you ready for number one? Yes. Yay, drum roll. And the New York Times bestseller with the best social media response so far is... Got the Canna by Runex. It's got 7,500 Amazon reviews, a little bit less than J.D. Robb, but over 36,000 on Goodreads. Oh, wow. People are talking. Yes. This 416-page dark romanticy novel has been on the list for three weeks so far, debuting and peaking at number four behind, of course, Rebecca Yaros, and also J.D. Robb's new one. Tell us about the author. Oh, right. We don't know anything about her. This is deliberate on the author's part. She adopted the pseudonym Runix, R-U-N-Y-X, and has kept her identity secret by choice. All she said in interviews is she's a vagabond and she's 30 years old. Maybe that much is true. Maybe not. Maybe her books were written by a machine. Who knows? Whoever she is, she's written, or has attributed to her anyway, some 13 novels, wow. including six in the Dark Verse series. These are dark suspense romance novels with titles like The Predator, The Reaper, The Emperor, The Finisher, and so on. The blurb for Gothicana goes like this. The eternal romance of Beauty and the Beast meets the gothic suspense of Dracula in this erotic, dark academia story of epic love. Erotic, dark academia? (laughs) Sounds like somebody didn't have a very good undergrad experience. Or maybe she's had a really boring and tedious undergrad and is writing this to compensate. (laughs) Okay, opening line. That's pretty good. There was nothing scarier than a blind old woman with whites for eyes suddenly gripping your arm under a full moon night. That does sound scary. So, reviews? So let's start with one star and then go to five so we can end on an up note. Here's a one star review from Alexa. The map in the front was so fun I got really excited. I never see maps in romance novels. How fun. But as soon as the characters started talking to each other, it was over. Oof. There were lines so insanely lazy, it felt like an eighth grade horror fiction contest winner wrote this. Yeah, for example, it was spooky and really weird. Doesn't that just send chills down your spine? Uh, I guess that last line was meant to be sarcastic. I tried to read it that way. So what about a five star? Okay, five star review from Asher's Maya. In the classes when Vad talked about literature, so just proves how much research she does for her books. The plot, OMG, gives me fear because... I read at night. <laughs> their connection. Even the universe knows they're meant to be. Please. How can I find what they have? Please Aww. spelled with a bunch of S's. I hope this Asher's Maya finds her true love. 
And I hope Maya's Asher doesn't read this review and find out where he stands with her. (laughs) Well. So before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, given these 10 overviews, which bestseller are you most excited to read? Oh, boy. I'm thinking probably the one that maybe was most intriguing was the first one, the Iranian-American one. Martyr. Yeah, one. Yeah. Maybe it was just more memorable because of the way you kept saying the name. <laughs> For me, it was the bleak one. Oh, which you one? You know, the Atlas. Oh. What was it called? The Atlas Complex? Yeah. Even though it means I'll probably have to read all three books in the series. Yeah. You like bleak. And I'm not afraid to admit it. But maybe you should get that Iron Flame first. <laughs> hey, let or- me remind you that <laughs> Olivia Blake came before the Rebecca Yaros phenomenon. She's got precedence. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next episode when we re- when we review First Lie Wins by Ashley Elston, the Reese Witherspoon book club pick for January 2024. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying, keep laughing, keep crying, and don't stop until you've read them all. Mm-hmm.